Well, we are continuing in our series called Counterfeit. So when you came in, you were given a bulletin. You can take out the notes that will help you to follow along. Some of you actually use the church app on your phone or maybe your iPad or something. But you can take that out because it will help you to see the scriptures and the various things we're going to be talking about. The one thing I enjoyed about this series on counterfeit and all that. Excuse me. Hi. Pastor Sheldon. Hi. Nick Brady. Hi. It's so good to see you. Yeah. Twice in one year you got to, like, visit. Yes, I know. I mean, you're so busy. You don't have to go through all the trouble. It. You know, no. I live for sharing my knowledge with, with others. I so. know, but it, 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 it <laughs> seems as if you, you only share your knowledge with just me, which is unfortunate. I mean, for everyone else. Like, you, oh, don't, okay. you should share your knowledge with other people too. Yeah, well, yeah, not just uh, one specific the others, person at any actually, given time. Well, they have paperwork that uh, keeps me about 50 yards away from them, but we won't oh. talk about that. That's okay. That's but, good to know, though. Yeah, I just wanted to come here because I know that you're talking about life's greatest gains. And so I We're just want We're actually talking about life's greatest gains. Exactly. No, and with so, no plural. It's life's like, greatest gains. Um, I came across something that I discovered with my data, if I can be, you know, you know how hipster I am with today's yeah. times and everything. And so right. I thought I, I put the data with social media. And so okay. I discovered something really fun. It's called memes. Have you guys heard about memes? Oh, so you know Have what you? they are. Right, yes. they're like, uh, you put a Images, humorous statement. Ex exactly, with text, and you know, yep. you copy it, and you put some funny sayings on it, and yes. internet users spread it all over the website. And yes. so I've made a couple for life's greatest gains. But it's not gains, like as in muscular gains. It's yes, exactly, gain as actors in today life. and famous people, they're all about pumping up and getting more muscles. <laughs> and so I about. made some illustrations. You might want to take a look here. I made this one. You might recognize. That's Pastor Ben's head. And well, that, yeah, you know, it's Photoshop. Alteration. That's they how it feels with the youth, though. I okay. think that's that's our next yeah. picture. Um, you might like that one. That's Tom. Like that. Tom Tom's Drager. face, actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, Rambo. Rambo, take me with you. You make good choice. Yeah, you remember that movie, right? <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't remember anyway, what you just said. Next one. You like that one? What? In the, that's definitely wrong. I don't even wear that kind of tank top. Yeah, that's the only difference. And it's that. Just, <laughs> it's just a slight he needs variation. A yeah, but that's not the gains we're talking about. It's not a muscular gain. It's, uh, a, it's oh. a life kind of gain. Oh. So I know you did a lot of research. I thank you for your time years. and this data. Year, years. Okay. It took you years for that. I, okay. I can see how hard you work. So thank you okay. so much. Can we all thank right, her right, for being right, here? Thank, thank you, McBrainy. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Just one more thing. Yeah. Did you know that uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, he can actually bench 425 pounds. Oh. Did you guys know that? He's really strong. Well, not as impressive as Steve Austin, who does 455 with 30 reps. That's pretty strong. But okay then. Yes, nice job. Good. We're gonna okay. go. Okay. Can you just thank McBrady right. for stopping by? Thank you. All my research, and he just yeah. he just doesn't get it. Maybe I should put more muscle. I might on need the that paperwork guy. for the 50 yards kind of thing. But you can uh, follow along with us because we're going to be talking about not life's greatest gains because there is something physical that happens when we try to gain more, like gain more weight, but it's more about gaining more in life. I remember watching these infomercials late at night, like that's when they get you. It's late at night, you're, you're brain dead, and they're showing you these products. They were showing me this one product that was a carpet cleaner. And I'm watching this, I'm thinking, there's no way that it can take out that stain. And it's like the guy can hear me. He says, yes, it can. I'm like, he knows me. So he's telling me that this carpet cleaner can take out any stain. And they put grape juice, they, they put paint, and they put all of these different stains, grass stains. And he says, it can take it all out. And now I'm starting to believe because it sounds believable and it looks believable. So they're saying what this is. And then they say, 
you can get this for only $19.95. Yeah. And so I'm kind of contemplating. I'm thinking, should I or should I not? And then they say, but wait, there's, yeah. So there's more. And then he says, if you, if you act now, right now, and call within 24 hours, you will get a second set absolutely See, you buy the same thing, so don't act like I'm the only one. You get it absolutely free because there's more. And sure enough, I, I dialed, and, you know, Heidi's sleeping, my wife, she's sleeping, so she do not know I'm ordering this. But it comes in the mail, and she says, what's this? I said, you got it. This is unbelievable. So I start telling her what the guy said. She goes, and you bought it? I said, but wait, <laughs> there's more. There's another box. And she's like, oh, I can't believe you bought this. So another night I'm watching, and there's these knives that can cut through shoes through shoes, and then they cut through a tomato after. I'm thinking, I got to get this because that's how I cook. I cut shoes and then I cut tomatoes. But wait, there's more. So I could buy this knife set and then get a second set absolutely free. So I bought it. And Heidi said, what is this? I'm like, wait, this this doesn't just cut food. Give me your shoe. This thing can cut a shoe. So that came in and, you know, I don't even know where those knives are. And then there was, a, there was a third one. This one was amazing. This person spilt everything on the floor, dirt and rocks, and then they had this mop that could mop it up. And so I thought, that's pretty good. But it was $14.95. And I thought, I, I don't want to buy it for $14.95. And then he said the magic words, but wait, there's more. And I bought the thing. So two of them came in, and you don't even have to use your hands to wring it out. You don't have to touch it. For so, for so for those of you who are OCD, you would have loved this mop because you just wring it out through the patented squeeze nozzle thingy. You just squeeze it, and it does its own. It squirts, uh, has all of this uh, whatever else you mopped up. What is it? Juice. So you, you mop all this up, and then when you're done, you don't even have to touch it. You throw it in the washing machine. Well, you're not impressed? <laughs> you didn't have to touch the thing. So I had these three products that I purchased, three products which I no longer own. And I'm not saying money went down the drain, but I tell you, this, this catchphrase is so luring. But wait, there's more. Because it says that what you're seeing is not even close to what you can get. And I thought, isn't that so true with life? That we chase after so many things that might be outside of God himself, thinking, but wait, there's more. It could be a relationship. It could be finances. Maybe it's just with, with, with curiosity. But wait, there's more. We're thinking there's more, there's more. And for some reason, there's something inside of us that says there has to be something more to life. But then we chase after other things rather than God, and then in the end, we only find out that's empty also. In the series that we're going through called The Counterfeit, we're learning that the devil actually can do certain things that we probably never knew before. We're going to read this scripture. It's found in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And this has been the centerpiece scripture of what we've been learning. We're going to read this together. Ready? Go. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Yeah, he masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, he's able to disguise himself, to transform himself so that he can appeal to our senses. So that now we follow what seems like what is good 
because we're following whatever is based on our feelings, our emotions. But the devil himself can actually masquerade as an angel of light. Now, we, we try different things to make life simpler or easier. Some of you download certain apps on your phone, and it's supposed to make life easier, like budgeting, or, or maybe you download certain apps for social media or whatever it is. It's supposed to make it easier, but then after a while, you have like 400 apps on your phone, and it becomes complicated. It takes up all your memory, and then your phone is super slow, and then in the end, you're thinking, this is junk. It's not even helping me. Why? Because we think, for some reason, we need more, and we keep trying to obtain more. But it's interesting that the Lord is going to show us that in order for us to gain more, we're going to have to give up more. Not giving up as in the sense of obtaining a goal or running a race, but giving up more of ourself, of our life, because we want more out of life. And in order for you and I to gain more out of life, we're going to have to lose more of our life so that we can gain the greater in other words, there are things we do in our life that restricts us from gaining more. And the reason is because you're going to find some pulls in your life, P-U-L-L-S, some pulls. You're going to have a pull from God. You're going to sense him pulling at you, tugging at you. You might have felt that this morning or, or maybe it seemed like God was tugging at your heart. You're also going to have the pull of Satan himself, the devil, the enemy, the adversary. He's going to pull at you. And you're going to feel that tension between God and, of course, the enemy. But then there's a third pull that we very rarely recognize, and that's the pull of our flesh. That our flesh will pull at us. And unless we know the difference between the counterfeit and that which is real, we're going to find ourselves cooperating or just giving into whatever pull feels right at that time. That word counterfeit actually comes from two words, two Latin words, contra and facer. Contra means in opposition and facer means make. So in other words, if we're looking at the enemy and he's coming in as a counterfeiter, he's coming in to make the exact opposite of what God is trying to do in your life. The exact opposite. So it may look the same because he can appear as an angel of light, but unless we know the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, then he comes in direct opposition to the things of God. So if God wants to bring value in your life, the enemy wants to take value from your life. So when we talk about life's greatest gain, the devil wants to bring in life's greatest loss. But we want to learn how do we get this gain? Where does this gain come from? And how do we live in such a way where we are not duped by the enemy? See, every single person can achieve great gains by just integrating these three life-changing decisions in your life. Here's the first thing, and it's to let Jesus be your standard of living. Jesus, be my standard of living. What, what, how does that play out in my life? Why does he have to be the standard for living? Why, why can't it be uh, uh, my, my pocketbook? Why can't it be my bank account, my career? Uh, why, why can't it be my grades, school, learning? Why, why does it have to be Jesus? What if, it, what if I just have a standard that I just come up with my, just by myself. Well, you got to remember, every single person has a standard for living. Whether you think you have it or not, every single person has a standard for living. We may not have written it down. Maybe we don't repeat it often. Maybe we don't, we don't even think about it. But every single person has a standard for living. 
When it comes to moral values, you have a standard for living. When it comes to finances, you have a standard for living. And some of us break that standard, actually. We go over and beyond, and then we go into this thing called debt. Because we, even in our standard, keep moving that so that it appeals to our senses. Some of us are in relationships, but even in a relationship, we have a standard for living. When it comes to entertainment, sexuality, the environment, the words we speak, the way we think, even the friends we have or the people we associate with, even our beliefs all come under a standard for living. They all come under that. And that standard of living will always determine what you get out of life. What's interesting is that life will not consist of what you desire or dream of. Life consists of what you set your standard to. And if your standard is Jesus Christ, then he helps filter out all the junk that's going to come in. Why? Because that's your standard. You don't compromise that. That's your standard. And he actually helps along the way. Otherwise, if we just make up standards all on our own, we can always move the line. We can compromise that depending on how we feel. But with Christ, he never changes, so his standard is always there. And it is for our good. There's a man by the name of Paul who was a follower of Jesus, but he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. His name was Saul before that, and he was what the Lord referred to as a Pharisee, someone who knew the laws of God but didn't follow through with the laws of God with all of his heart. So Saul at that time is on his way to persecute Christians, to throw them in prison and even to execute some of them. And this is after Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the grave. Saul is on his way to do these things when he meets Jesus. And he comes to Jesus face to face and Jesus tells him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting against the goads? In other words, why are you fighting against me? Why are you, why are you going cross-current to me? In other words, Saul, where's your standard of living? What, what's setting your standard? Well, eventually Saul gives his heart to Christ and Christ changes his name to Paul. And Paul is used to write most of the New Testament. Now, Paul is writing to these churches that they're birthing, all of these churches that they're building up. And one of them was in the church of Philippi. And he wrote to the Philippians and he writes this to them in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It's in your notes. And Paul says this, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. In other words, we can't be righteous on our own. We, we can't do the right things to become righteous. And although we try to live to our very best or the best of our being, it really comes through our faith in Jesus that makes us righteous. Otherwise, we try to live a life of perfection, and then when we blow it or make a mistake, we pull away from Christ because we feel guilty. We no longer attend church together with the body of Christ because someone's going to ask me how I'm doing. But what Paul is saying is apart from Christ, apart from having that connection with him, trying to be righteous on your own will not work. 
In fact, Paul himself says, I, I count everything else as garbage when compared to the value of knowing Christ Jesus, the knowledge of Christ Jesus. There's this, uh, uh, I think it's a, what do they call it, a transfer station, right? We, here we just call it the dump. But for, for, for nice sounding ways of, or a nice way of saying it, it's a transfer station. This is where we throw all of our rubbish. Well, we have these transfer stations all over, not just here on the islands or in the, our state or nation, but around the world. There's this one facility in London that has probably one of the best state-of-the-art sorters when it comes to garbage. And people throw their garbage there, but they have these different sorters. And so you know how here at our, uh, at our transfer station they have all the different bins? And when Heidi and I were first separating our rubbish at home, we were thinking, this is a lot of work. Like we have to separate, you know, glass. Uh, you want to recycle the plastic bottles. And then you want to... Uh, not throw away paper, you want to put it in another bin, and then cardboard, you want to flatten that, and then the metal, you want to put in another one, and then green waste, you know, if you have, you know, you just cut down some trees, you want to throw that in another bin. So when you go down there, there's all these different bins that you have to throw your rubbish in. Now, it seems like a lot of work, which it is, but that's just how we want to be with playing our part, right, with our environment. So this place that has this facility does all the sorting and it's amazing that this one huge bin sorts out all the paper. And so I'm thinking, how does it sort out all the paper? Well, they have these huge, they look like, uh, like windmill f uh, uh, fan blades. And because paper is light, it just lightly flows across the top. And all the heavy things fall down and then that gets sorted in another one. In other words, each bin filters out different items. So by the time it comes to the end, you have all paper in one bin, you have all metals in one bin, plastics in one bin. It's amazing. And then at the end of the line, you have actual people sorting out the last, the fine-tuning of all of this rubbish, sorting it all out, filtering out what should not be thrown in the landfill. This facility, from beginning to end, sorts out 97% of that which is recyclable. Only 3% actually make it to the landfill. Everything else can be used again. 97%. And I thought, what a great way to sort things out. But then I thought, Lord, isn't that what you do with my heart? that I have all of this rubbish coming into my life every single day. This person says this about me. That person did this to me. My finances need help. Oh, this is not going well in my family. Oh, that's a temptation. All of this coming my way, who's going to sort it out? That's why Paul said, I, I count everything else as garbage. Why? Because I have the infinite knowledge of Christ. He's the best sorter for our life, heart, and spirit. That by the end of all of this junk coming in, and as we give it to Christ, as we say, you're going to be my standard of living, he sorts it all out. And in the end, we gain more. Because we've said, you are my standard of living. You're the best filter I'm ever going to have. And if we don't make Jesus our standard of living, you know what's going to happen? The devil will make one for you. He's just waiting. He's always waiting, and he's, he's up for the challenge. 
while Jesus is sorting out, this is no good, this is no good, this is no good, the devil is just waiting and saying, if you're not going to make a standard for your life, then I will. But we're not going to let him. Here's the second thing that we're going to learn. To realize true fulfillment comes through Christ. So no matter if the enemy is waiting there, we know that true fulfillment will come through Christ. Our hearts will always pull at different things, but Christ said, no, but if you want true fulfillment, it's going to have to be through me. You know, some of you love nature. Like, I like being outdoors. I love, especially here in Hawaii, sunset, sunrise. You know, right now it's sunny. Earlier it was raining. That's just Hilo. But you have these different sceneries, nature, our mountains, ocean. I mean, we're surrounded by beauty here. Maybe you're traveling or you're, you're visiting from somewhere. Maybe in your own home, there, uh, in your hometown, there's certain things that visually are just stunning. Heidi and I were watching this one uh, show that they go on these different uh, hikes and they go on trails. They look for treasure and things like that and they just go adventuring. And, and just the scenery around the world is amazing. And God created us that way. He created us to enjoy nature. But after the sun has set and after the day has gone, that feeling of wow also sets. In other words, we can only get so much out of life for fulfillment. It's, it's temporary. Oh, beautiful, but just temporary. But when it comes to Christ, realizing that that's where we're going to have full fulfillment, then we can we can begin to understand how he can be our, our standard for living and, and why it's so incredibly important to stay connected to him. Money is great to have, but then it runs out. That's why we always want more. Nothing wrong with having it. The Bible actually says it's not, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. But when we have it in our pocket, it just gives us a sense of security, but it's also a false sense of security. Success is great, but how much success do you need in order for you to say, now I'm fully satisfied? See, anything physically satisfying, anything physically satisfying is not as gratifying when compared to what is spiritually fulfilling with Christ. Just think about anything, anything physically satisfying is not as gratifying when compared to what is spiritually fulfilling with Christ. That's why it's our relationship with him. There was a, we know her as the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And Jesus comes to this woman who is sitting at the well. She's drawing water from it because water is the, the greatest prized possession in the desert. So Jesus is on his way through this town called Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews just didn't have a connection. They weren't getting along and there's some history. But Jesus goes to this well and he asks this woman for a drink. And she says, oh, but you don't even have anything to drop water. And, and Jesus actually tells her, you know, if you knew who it was who would ask you for a drink, you would have given it to him, and he would have given you living water. Now, there's a switch in conversation because Jesus said living water. Now, no one really speaks like that. And so she asks him some questions, and Jesus replies to her in John chapter 4, verse 13. He says, you know, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 
See, Jesus uses the well because of its great value in the desert to illustrate that there is a physical desire we all have, always pulling at us, which has the potential to take us further from God. The Bible refers to it as the flesh. So he uses this to illustrate it. And what the devil does is he counterfeits the spiritual with the physical and pulls us further from God. That's why when we make decisions that we know are ungodly, after a while we begin to feel distant from God. But then Jesus reminds us that the world will always leave us thirsting for more of the world, which in turn drains you and I. And when it drains us, it makes us want to go back to that which is temporary or temporary water. That's why Jesus said, this water will only make you thirst again. In other words, if you're trying to gain more with your flesh, then you're always going to look for what pleases the flesh. But there's no gain there. And so Jesus says, what I give to you doesn't make you thirsty again. In fact, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within you, and it gives you eternal life. You know what Jesus was talking about? He was actually talking about himself. He was saying, you're going to have the pool of the world, you're going to have the pool of the the enemy, but you're also going to have the pool of my spirit. That is the one you follow because that is the one that will give you eternal life. So here's the last thing. Number three, we got to surrender our life to Jesus daily. Daily? I thought I gave my life to Jesus. Why can't I just say yes to him and then I'm good? Well, if you think about it daily, it's, it's a reminder to us that we're going to have daily problems. We're going to have daily setbacks. Daily health issues. Daily we're going to struggle with things. And so I liken it to this. Let's just say you need to swim. There's two ways you can do this. Now, some of you are divers. You can dive and you can hold your breath for a long time. Some of us, like me, 15 seconds I'm passing out. So you can either swim in two ways. One, you can hold your breath as long as you can and go underwater and swim as far as you can because you don't want to waste time coming up for air. But you're going to have to come up for air sooner or later. So let's just say you can hold your breath for a couple of minutes. You're, you're swimming underwater and then it's like, okay, I need to come up for air. <sighs> and then you go back under. And you hold your breath as long as you can. And then you come up for air. <sighs> you can do that. And you'll gain good distance being underwater a long time. You can swim. But then you have to keep coming up for air. Now, if you're a long-distance swimmer, that will only get you so far. Because your, your blood needs oxygen if you're going to go long distance. You, you're not going to go miles breathing like that. You might go meters and then back float after a while. But you need to take some breaths. But some of us live like that with Christ. Only when we're in trouble, we just hold our breath as long as I can. Oh, I need Jesus. Oh, I got air. Okay. Okay, I'm doing good now. Go back under and then swim as long as we can. We live as long as we can. I I try to stretch as much as I can. Okay, the relationship is okay, but it's not that bad. I don't need Jesus yet. Then things blow up. We got to go church. We got to go church. We got to go church. Okay, everything's good. Okay, swimming, everything's good. Children, good, good. You guys got good grades. Okay, nobody do nothing. Everybody just behave. Okay, somebody acting up. Somebody's at work acting up. Got to come over. I need you. I need Jesus. Okay, Jesus. I need you at work because my coworkers is insane. They're crazy people. Okay, we're good? Okay. And then we go under the water. And then now we're swimming. And then we're trying our very best to live that way. 
and we live that way for long periods of time, but all we're doing is just breathing when we have to. And we gain nothing in life. We don't go too far. But that's one way to swim. That's, that's one way to live. And will Christ be there? Absolutely. But there's another way to swim. Some of you are long-distance swimmers. And this is how you swim. That's how you swim. Calm, collected, and you go far, super far. You, go, you can go miles. You, and you swim, you just, and you just pass all the people that are. You just pass them, and, and you're just casually being consistent and breathing as you normally would. But you can go for miles. That's what it means to surrender to Jesus daily. You're just taking in, breathing in, living for, remembering to surrender your life to Jesus daily. See, the hope that we have in that is that Jesus went through every single temptation that you and I would ever come across. In fact, before Jesus started his ministry, he was fasting for 40 days and then went into the wilderness, the desert, to be tempted from the devil. He went there to be tempted from the devil. In other words, he went there to pass some tests. He went into the wilderness. The devil tempted him. And three times Jesus passed. But that scripture ends with this in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, what did he do? He left him until... The next opportunity came. It would almost seem like the devil would give up, wouldn't he? Like, okay, Jesus didn't fall for any of my temptations, my tactics or anything. Ah, oh, man, I'm foiled again. I can't, I can't take him over. Oh, I'm done. But he said, you know what? I'm just going to wait for another opportune time. Here, here's what the devil does so well is he looks for the most opportune time to attack us. So if my life is surrendered to Jesus daily and the devil is just waiting to attack us, but I'm surrendering my life to Jesus, the very one in whom he tried to tempt and did not have any success, if I'm surrendering my life to Jesus, what I'm actually doing is saying, Lord, can I go behind you? And can you be my protector? So when the tempter comes, can, can you deal with that? Because I, I don't have the strength, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the knowledge to do that, but, but you do. So can you do this for me? And so when the devil shows up, because I've surrendered my life to Jesus, my life is in his hands. So now because my life and your life is in his hands, guess who does the battle? Yeah, not us. It's Christ. Oh, we're on the battlefield with him. But it's not by power nor by strength. It's by his spirit, declares the Lord. So he's going to do the battle for us. But he's always going to look at the opportune time. That word, that phrase, opportune time, actually means the right time. Or the, the right time when things are brought to crisis. In other words, Satan looks for the moments that we least expect the attack. But if we're surrendered to Jesus, then the devil has no way in. I was just speaking to a friend last week, and 
he was telling me that there were three people in his family that passed away within a couple of months. And just talking with him, praying with him, and, and just hearing his heart, we both said, boy, when it rains, it pours. And for some of you right now, you need an, um, an umbrella of mercy. It's like it's pouring so much on you. There's, there's finances, a relationship. Maybe you're going through a separation, divorce. Maybe a family member passed away, a loved one. Maybe right now you're in a critical stage of life and you're trying to figure out how do I balance out my schedule, my life, my emotions. How do I do this? I just started a new, new job, college. I just, I just started school. We just got a brand new baby. There's so many things up in the air. It's like I have no time to breathe. But if I surrender my life to Jesus daily, there may be some type of consistency that can take place in my life. And maybe through that, through surrendering to him, yep, there's going to be a lot that comes my way. But the enemy is not going to come in. He's not going to find that opportune time to give me the most damage because my life is surrendered to Christ. Here's, here's the way to surrender. Mark chapter 8 verses 35 through 37 tells us this. It says, for whoever desires to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you get a better one in exchange. You get a better one. Now, when you surrender your life to Jesus, even when you give your life to Jesus, will you still have problems? Yes, you will. You're going to wake up with problems. There's problems all the time. But here's the difference. If I don't surrender my life to Jesus daily, then I'm on my own solving the problems. But when I surrender to Jesus, I can actually, I can actually give my problems to him and we can solve them together. He's going to give us wisdom for what we need it for. I remember seeing some memes, those pictures and, and those captions, and one of them says, when you encounter a big problem, introduce it to your big God. When your problems tell you how big they are, you let your problems know how big God is. In other words, we have a God who is a lot greater a lot bigger than any problem you and I will ever face. And he's able to help us in time of need. But we've got to surrender to him every day. Every day? Yes, every day. Here's the hope. Lamentations 3.20 through 24 says that I will never forget this awful time, about this awful time. Some of us are in an awful time. Maybe you went through an awful time. But this is Jeremiah speaking. He's one of the prophets. And he says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. And some of you might be grieving over a loss today. But he says this, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each, what, morning. I say to myself, it's almost like he's saying, I got to talk to myself. I got to say this to myself. The Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will put my hope in him. Yeah, the Lord is our inheritance. Our hope is in him. 
And what Jeremiah was saying is, listen, and, and Jeremiah is actually known as the weeping prophet. Like he is going through so many emotions that he himself actually said, here's the hope that we have. I can surrender my life daily. Why? Because his mercies begin afresh each morning. And this morning, God has new mercies for you and I. I would encourage you to take even five seconds when you wake up in the morning. Just pause for a moment. You know, some of us get up like this. <gasps> what day is it? What time is it? Oh, my goodness. Get up and get ready to brush teeth like real fast. And then you just get ready and change and, and just out the door. Grab a cup of coffee. Maybe I don't need cream and sugar. Just drink it straight black. Sometimes I don't even need the coffee to drink. I just grab the beans and eat the beans. And then you're out the door. Why? Because there's so much to do. So just pause for five seconds. Let's just practice this. You're going to pause for five seconds and then say, Lord, I receive your mercies that are new every single morning. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, pause for five seconds and just say, Lord, I receive your mercies that are new every single morning. Then you can grab your coffee, you can grab the beans, whatever you want to do. But just pause because that will change the rest of your day. It lines you up. It changes the trajectory of where your life is heading at that moment. Just pause and see what the Lord does. And you'll see that you'll gain more in life because now you're losing more of your life to gain more of his. Amen. And close your Bibles and put over your notes. I'm going to ask Glenn to come to the keyboard. Some of you have already surrendered your life to Jesus, and he's your Lord and Savior. I've done that, and I remember in the beginning when I first did that, it was the greatest decision that I made. But along with that, there were some decisions that I still needed to make. I still needed to surrender my life to Jesus daily. And it's a constant reminder that when I slow down and pause for the Lord, it gives me wisdom for the day or for what is required at the moment. And it's amazing what you gain out of life. And as we close in prayer, I, maybe there's some things that God was speaking to you. Maybe you jotted some things down or, or took some notes. And as we close in prayer, let this be a time for you and the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And I'm sure there's some of you who have never received Jesus today. And as we close in prayer, maybe that's your decision. Maybe you're saying, boy, I, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, period. Not just daily, but for all of eternity. I've never made that decision. For some who have received Jesus, you know that it's, it's him that fulfills everything in life. He, he is the true fulfillment when it comes to living. And that we would all live by his standard. It's a good standard. And so if you're here today and you're saying, Lord Jesus, I, I've never given my life to you. I want to give you that opportunity right now. And, and if you want Jesus to come into your heart in exchange for his, would you just lift a hand and I'll pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything. Okay, God sees your hand right here, right here. Yeah, you're saying, I want Jesus in my life. Okay, right here. Yeah, just hold your hands up. Yeah, God sees you right here, right here. Back there, right here. Yeah, God sees you right here. Yeah. It's an eternal decision. Okay, God sees you. Okay, back there, yeah. God sees you too. Okay, you can put your hands down. As we pray this prayer together, even though you may have prayed this a thousand times, it's such a reminder to be consistent with the Lord. 
We surrender our lives to him because in his hands, it's, our lives work out the best. He created us so he knows how we work the best. And so as we pray this, as I say the words and you repeat after me, you just include your heart. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the grave to give me eternal life. I believe in you and I thank you. I surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. I thank you for each person here. I pray that as we leave here today, we leave here different, knowing that we have gained more. Everything else, Lord, we count as garbage compared to the infinite knowledge of knowing you. You give us value. You're our standard for living. We surrender our life to you today because you are the fullest fulfillment of life that we could ever gain. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Let's welcome these that said yes to Jesus into the family of God.